Well, obviously, the crown jewels of England aren't for sale. If you're familiar, maybe you're not, the crown jewels are the, the royal vestments and regalia that the king and the queen and the royal people wear for coronation services and for uh, big state events, national events. And the, the worth of these things, it's really kind of hard to get an estimate, but they, they say that they are probably worth anywhere between $3 and $5 billion. Do you get that? And, and now, ladies, you feel very disappointed at the wedding ring or the, uh, the ring your boyfriend or husband got you, correct? Three to five billion dollars. That, that's valuable, right? Yes, that's very, 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 very valuable. Well, this morning in 1 Timothy 5, we're going to look at something that's very valuable. In fact, believe it or not, is more valuable than the crown jewels of Great Britain and England. 1 Timothy 5, if you have your Bibles. If not, the Scriptures will be on the screen. And here's what God says as you're looking for that or as you're uh, finding that. Or God says this, the second most valuable thing in the world is people. The second most valuable thing in the whole wide world is people. More valuable than the crown jewels? Absolutely. More valuable than your boat? Believe it or not, Yes. More valuable than what you have in the bank or even in your education, certainly. If you're taking notes, you can write these down and look them up later. Matthew 22 and in in Mark 12, Jesus is asked by the top religious leaders of his day, what is the most important command? And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't give one, he gives two. He says it's to love God and to love people. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love people as you love yourself, which means to love people a whole, whole bunch. And when you do these two things, not one, but when you do these two things, everything falls together. In other words, Jesus Christ said the most valuable thing in the world after your relationship with him is your relationship with people. It's people. And if people are the, are the, the most valuable thing to us after God then how we treat people is extremely important. When something's valuable, you, you want to treat it well. I promise you, they treat the, the, uh, the, the crown jewels of England extremely well. They, they have them under lock and key. They have them heavily guarded, tremendous security system. Because when you love something, or when something's valuable to you, you're going to treat it Right, I want us to look at some ways in 1 Timothy 5 that God shows us that when we really value people, and by the way, if you are a God follower, or if you're wanting to be a God follower, if you fail at this, nothing else is going to matter. doesn't matter if you memorize the New Testament, if you give all your money away uh, to the church, No matter what else you do, if you fail at this, you have failed. So let's look at how God says we should treat the valuable, valuable commodity of people. Here's the first thing he says. Treat them with respect. Treat them with respect. In verse 1 through 3, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. And younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Webster's defines respect 
I think, very, very accurately and in, in, in a very good way. It says, to respect someone is the act of giving particular attention or consideration to them. Let me repeat that. When, when you and I respect someone, we are giving them particular attention, specific attention, and consideration. If you were here last Sunday, we looked in 1 Timothy 4 where the challenge was to earn respect. And, and this is a paradox of Christianity. As a Christian, you and I are called to be men and women and young people who earn people's respect. By the way we live, the way we carry ourselves, we earn the respects. But it's not contradictory here for God to say, now, once you've earned people's respect, when you love and value them, you will give them respect. Here's something else that may seem contradictory. Respecting someone does not mean you approve of everything they do and and how they behave. Respect means I'm going to respect and value you as an individual. I may not respect your lifestyle. I may not respect what you believe. I've I've talked to people who said some of the dumbest things in the world. And, And I can respect them, but I don't have to respect their belief system or their value system. God says, I'm not calling you to, to, to look at everyone's behavior and say, I'm okay and you're okay. And you know what? Just believe anything you want and everything's going to turn out fine in the end. He's not saying that, but he's saying people are the second most important thing. And when you value anything, you respect it. He starts out here with older men and older women. Now, the Mishnah was a Jewish document. Uh, It was a verbal document of rabbinic sayings. And it said you became an older person in the Jewish society in Jesus and Paul's day at 60. In America, you get your AARP card at 22 now. But, but in Jerusalem, it was 60. And here's what he says in verse 1 about treating older men. Don't rebuke an older man harshly. That literally is the picture of striking someone, but he's talking about verbally. He's saying, you, if you respect someone who is older than you, an older man, if you have to disagree with them, you don't verbally attack them. He says, treat older women as you would treat your mother. You go, well, I had a bad mother or a bad father. Treat them like they were a good father or a good mother. Notice what he says about younger people. He says, he says treat younger brothers, we could say people your own age too, uh, younger people, men, as brothers. And treat younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You're getting a picture here. God's saying that when you and I look at people, we ought to look at people as family. We ought to show them respect. When you value something, you give it good consideration. There was a survey done last year in America, and they asked a number of Americans about our country's rude behavior. And 76% of Americans interviewed said that in the last decade, America has become a more rude country. I think most of us would agree with that. Respect is not on the up and up, it's on the down. It's always been that way to some extent. Did you know, in, and I'm not making this up, in some Eskimo cultures years ago, what they did when, when grandma or grandpa got too old and too feeble, they put them on a raft and pushed them out into the Arctic Ocean and waved goodbye. In Ruston, we take them to Lake Darbone and just push them out and, and wave goodbye. Can you imagine that? You see somebody with grandpa in the back of the truck, where are they going? They're going to the lake. It's that... It, it, 
God says, respect grandpa and grandma. Respect people younger than you. And remember, all this always goes back to us, by the way. And Christians, you know what? We ought to break the trend in this rude behavior. If you value people, you will respect people. Here's the second thing he says about something we value, being people. Prioritize them. Prioritize them. Now, now you and I know this is true. Anytime you value something, you prioritize it. You prioritize it. You may not admit it, but it is, it is a priority for you to get to or you to be involved in. In verse 4 through 8, it says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and their grandparents. This is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left alone puts, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. In verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, now, guys, back in this day, being a widow was a tough, tough position to be in. They did not have the pension systems we have. They didn't have Social Security like we have. They didn't have the government systems that we had. And so when an older lady, when her husband died, she was in trouble if she didn't have a church or a family to take care of her. Younger women, too. In verse 6, it talks about uh, ladies living for pleasure. It was hard for a woman in this day and age to get a good job. A lot of them weren't educated well. They depended on their husband, their family. And so these younger women... If they, their husband died and they couldn't find work, they went into prostitution. And, and, and there's a major problem in this day and age. And he says this, he says, look, the church needs to step in and help people who need help. But he also said this. He said the family needs to be the first line of security. And if the family can help, that elderly person or that disabled person or that person who can't help themselves and their family. The family ought to prioritize that even before the church does. Verse 8 is a powerful verse. You don't provide for your own family. You're worse than, than someone who claims to not even know God. Now, provide for doesn't mean that you continue to throw money at somebody until they're 90 years old just because you have it and they want it. It means that you think about and you try to maintain and you try to be there for them. The, the, the concept that God was trying to get across here is that, is that if you value people, you and I we'll go out of our way to prioritize people and help people, and it starts right at our homes. You love something, you value it, you prioritize it. Everybody here knows what this is, correct? This is going to fit in the sermon. Don't think I'm just being overly immature. A guy named Richard James invented the slinky. Do you know how many slinkies have been sold over the course of... 45, 50, 60 years, 
Over three billion. How many of you wish you would have invented the slinky? Richard James, listen, he was a naval engineer, a naval engineer in World War II, and he was on a, on a sh- battleship, and he was given the job to try to design some equipment and, and instruments where, you, you know, you're, you're on a battleship in the ocean. I'm sure you're doing this a whole lot, and, and try to stabilize that. And so he's working on different things, and he notices some springs rolling down the stairways and stuff, and he comes up with the idea of the slinky. And he and his wife uh, put together a company in 1945 and 1946, and they get the slinky on the market and become multi, 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 multi millionaires. Richard James becomes a devout Christian. And in 1960, he feels a call to be a missionary to Bolivia to go work for the Wycliffe Bible Translators. Anybody ever heard of the Wycliffe Bible Translators? Very, very good group. Richard James's wife did not feel the call to ministry. Normally, if you feel the call to go to Bolivia and your spouse doesn't, you stay where you are and pray that God changes their mind. Richard James sold his company to his wife, and he left his wife and his six children, and he went and spent the rest of his life in Bolivia alone. You know what? That's not a hero, folks. Much as I love the slinky, that's not a good thing. A man named Robert Smitty wanted to impress his daughter. He got on the Internet. I guess you can get on the Internet and you can find these things. He found a website where people, I guess, advertise they need body parts. I'd like, getting, I'd like a new nose, but, uh, you know, kidneys, things like that. So he hooks up with this person who needs a kidney. They, they are a match. Everything's good. And he gives his kidney to this person he's never met before in his life. And they ask him, why did you do that, Robert? And he said, I wanted to impress my children so my children would see that their father was a good man. They interviewed his 10-year-old daughter, 10-year-old daughter. Here's what his 10-year-old daughter says. My father is not a good man. I haven't seen my father in months. My father doesn't even call or get me a present for my birthday. The reporter did a little investigating. He's nine months behind on his child support. You know what? It might be noble to give a kidney to a stranger, but God says that when you love and you value people, it starts right where we are. Are. Amen or oh no? It, it does. I want to show you this isn't original with me, but it really is good. It's, kind of, it's, it's done in circles. The screen, we could only get half circles. But, but this is really how the God life is intended to be lived. It starts right there with God as our center. And then if you're married, the next thing in line there is your spouse. Then your immediate family, your family, your friends. And, 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 and I don't know, you got friends maybe you're closer to than some uncle you hadn't seen in 84 years. So that, that can be intermingled there. And then people in general. And then you. And then job and school. And then sports and playing and all the things that we love to do. Now the problem with this is most of us got this inverted, don't we? Most of us, self is right there. Now, we say it's not, but it is. Uh, Extracurricular might be there. 
Uh, then maybe family and spouse, and then job and school, and people are way out here. God says when you value something, you prioritize it. And when we value people, it starts with God here, and it works out in circles. Don't love the pygmy in, in, in Africa more that, that you've never met, but you have a postcard of, than you love your own kids. Starts here, and it works out. God, your spouse, your, your family, your friends, people, and then everything else. When you love something, you value it, you prioritize is what God says. Here's the third thing. You treat them well. Now, certainly, if you respect someone and you prioritize them, you're treating them well. But he gives us some more specifics here. And let me give you uh, about four specifics. Here's the first one. When you value something, you will be faithful to it. In verse 9, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 and has been faithful to her husband. This is interesting. In the early church here, they actually made a list of the widows who qualified for help. In other words, there were going to be widows who did not qualify, maybe because of age, but also for some other reasons. And here's one thing he says right off the bat. If if, if the church is supposed to help this widow, she needs to have been a woman who was faithful to her husband. Isn't that interesting? Now, this is hard to believe, but the world then was as promiscuous there as our world is today. Divorce was very easy. It was very common. Unfaithfulness was a very common thing. But what they said, if a lady is going to be helped by the church, she needed to be the kind of woman who valued people and valued God and valued her spouse. Guys, if you value somebody, you're faithful to them. I've been reading a book or two of some of our past presidents' biographies and a lot of interesting things, but one thing that has just blown me away is the, the sexual immorality. of These guys just cheat, 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 cheat on their spouses. And the thing that kept coming back to me over and over and over and over again, no matter how big shot they were, they didn't value their wife. You value people, you're faithful to them. You're faithful to your friends. We live in a day when loyalty, faithfulness, it's pushed out the window. We are completely consumer-oriented. That is terrible. You value something, you're faithful to it. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your friends, you are faithful to it. Okay? Here's the second thing. If you value something and you value people, you need to be a good doer. I'm still not sure if that's good grammar. But you get the point. Be a doer of... Kyle, you changed that, didn't you? Well, thank you. Be a doer of good deeds. In verse 10, it says, And this woman is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality. We'll look at some more of those in just a moment. It's interesting. This word good in your Bibles means constitutionally good. In other words, it means from the inside out, a foundational goodness. That creates beauty and harmony. It's a beautiful, harmonious goodness. 
And it says, one who cares for children. Now, this could mean that she was a good mother, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the, to, for the widow to be admired, she had to have kids. Here was another weird thing about the society that, that Timothy lived in. There was a practice with, with children, with newborns, that's just unspeakable to you and me. It was called exposure. Where Timothy lived, where, where Timothy was being written to, it was not uncommon when a baby was born, it was taken to the father. Now, normally if it was a healthy male, the dad would be p- proud of it and pat it on the head and it would be a part of the family. But if it was a female, sorry ladies, but this is true, or an unhealthy male, they would lay the baby at the daddy's feet. If the daddy picked up the baby, then they all cheered and it was part of the family. If the father stood up and walked away, the baby was literally taken outside and exposed to the elements, thus exposure. And one of three things happened. The baby died from exposure. Our creepy people came by and picked up the baby. There was a, just, you can imagine, a black market of, of this kind of thing where they would take uh, little female babies and raise them to be slaves and prostitutes, take little male babies to raise them to be slaves or gladiators. Or here was the third possibility. Good people would come and pick these kids up and either raise them or take them to a place where they would be raised safely. He was saying about these widows, they valued human life and they did good. They took care of those who couldn't help themselves. They showed hospitality. You know, we always talk about Jesus and Mary having to sleep in the barn because there wasn't room in the inn. That may have been a good thing. The inns in this day were notoriously bad. Prostitution, criminals, uh, they were notoriously bad, dirty places. And so in this day and age, if, if you came to Ruston, instead of being put up in the sleep inn, a person might just invite you to their house. They may make you sleep in the garage, but that's better than sleeping in the city courthouse out front. Now, in our day and age, we might just give them a... Uh, a hotel room at the sleep in. But in other words, he's saying, when you value people, you do good. You are a good doer to other people. Here's the third thing he says. And certainly these go hand in glove. You serve them. You serve them. Verse 10, verse 10, he says, and showing hospitality and the washing the feet of the saints. 2,000 years ago, you're walking the streets. You probably have sandals on or you're barefooted. What will sandals and barefoot do on dusty streets? They'll smell bad and they'll look bad, right? Now, can you imagine uh, last Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday walking around Ruston on streets that, that were not paved? I mean, be just terribly muddy and dirty. And so um, almost every house that you walked into, they had a, a water jar and a basin and a towel right by the door. So you walk in, you kick your sandals off, and then they make the teenager, if they don't have, you know, wealthy people, if they're, they're not wealthy, they're poor people, that's a great teenage job, isn't it? Hey, Allie, clean their shoes while everyone sits down and eats with, uh, uh, with Scott and Bonnie. That would not be a great job. And it was the job, if you had money, that the slave did or the lowest servant on the totem pole. They honored the woman who did this. 
You remember what Jesus Christ did in this regards? Jesus Christ knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. Not just to make a point, but to say, look, this is who I am. This is who you are to be. Man, if you value somebody, you're going to serve them. You are. You're going to serve them. And serving in our day probably doesn't mean you're going to wash their feet. That's not the great need. But serving means that you just want to help people. And it's not necessarily going to reciprocate back on you. Like this afternoon, ladies, when we're sitting in our recliner and we say, would you get me some ice cream in the remote? That's service. Amen, guys? Glad we don't have a woman preacher, aren't y'all? But that goes both ways, guys. You value someone, you serve them. And he says one last thing here. If you value someone, you don't treat them bad. You don't treat them bad. You don't hurt them. So much common sense in in the wonderful depth of the Scriptures. Verse 11 through 13, As for the younger widows, don't put them on a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry, thus they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle, going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to say. Now, God is not condemning marriage here. What was happening were these young widows, were, their husband would die, and in a, I don't know, in a revival or a youth camp or something, they would, they would get excited and passionate about Christ. They'd make a commitment. I'm never going to marry, and I'm going to serve God with all my heart. Well, six months later, some good-looking guy comes by, and they begin to, uh, to backtrack on that vow. And so God was, God was not condemning marriage. He was saying, don't break your vows to God. Listen, be very careful what you promise God. You promise God something, be very careful. Be very careful to fulfill it. So that's what he was getting on to him about. But the main problem was, is he was saying some of these young ladies got too much time on their hand. And they're going from house to house, and they're criticizing people, and they're talking about people. They're saying, if I was the coach, (laughs) if I would have been the teacher, if I was leading music, if I was the doctor, Nowadays, we don't go house to house. We just, we just go phone to phone, don't we? Text to text. Catch them out in the hallways or whatever. And God says, absolutely, when you value something, you don't want to hurt it. You got many of you men. You have guns or you have boats. Ladies, you have different. You have jewelry. You have things that you value. You protect that stuff. You don't want it damaged, and you don't want it hurt. And God says, because people are the second most valuable thing in the world, why would we try to injure them? It won't hurt something you value. J. Vernon McGee was a a preacher many years ago. He was on a mission trip one time to, to South Africa. While he was there, he was walking through a village, and he saw some kids playing marbles down in the dirt. So he walked up closer, and he noticed that the marbles looked pretty shiny, and he, and he knelt down, and to his amazement, 
Those kids were playing marbles in the dirt with diamonds. They had no idea what they were playing with. Something extremely, extremely valuable they were playing marbles in the dirt with. You know, listen, your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends, your neighbors, maybe even people you don't know well, are the second most valuable thing in the world. And I'm afraid many of us are playing marbles in the dirt with them instead of lifting them up for what they really are. I want to ask you to bow your head with me this time. If you're a Christian, I would, uh, I would challenge you to examine yourself where you are on these things. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure whether you belong to Christ today, would you just right where you're seated, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're the Son of God who died and who arose for me and And Jesus, I ask you now, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and ask to to respond to Christ. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that this morning. Would you come in a moment? Let one of us help you down front with that decision. Maybe today you'd like to join our church. One way you can do that is by coming in a moment and one of these ministers can help you. You can join our church family today. Maybe Christian, today God has spoken to your heart. Certainly every one of us who is a believer today needs to make a decision. Maybe it'll be where you're standing. Maybe at the altar. But we need to say to God, God, what you value, I need to value. Maybe I need to repent of the way I've devalued people. But God, with your help from this point forward, I'm going to value people. Let's stand as God leads you this morning. Respond to him.